0: you could turn your Bibles to Mark chapter 9, we're going to continue in our series seeing Jesus clearly. Remember, Jesus is making his journey from Galilee down to Jerusalem to ultimately to die up on the cross. That's that's what he's doing here. And, and And in these moments, he's helping the disciples to be able to understand who he is, that they might see him clearly. And, and he's also pausing and walking with the disciples to helping them understand his purpose, the reason that he came. And as they understand this, it's absolutely for, impossible for them to go on and live the lives they lived before. It's got to change him. And I hope that's the same way with us, that it impacts us the same way, that we truly understand who Jesus really is, that we truly understand as we see him in all of his glory, in all of his suffering, that we have to take a step back and say, God, I can't go on being the same person because of what you've done for me and who you are. See, what we need to understand, when we see Jesus clearly, it brings salvation. When we come down to understand who He is, that He's God, and we come to understand what He did for us, He died upon us, upon the cross for us, and we put our faith and trust in Jesus, our focus changes. That God begins to work in, inside of our hearts and in our minds, and He changes us from the inside out. We go from justification to sanctification. We become more and more like Jesus. That's the sanctification process. And the most important question any of us will have to answer is this. Uh, what do you look, when you look at Jesus, who do you see? My question to you, when you look at Jesus, who do you really see? Do you see a prophet? Do you see a teacher? Do you see a messiah? Do you see a powerful man? Do you see a religious leader? Do you see a savior? It's real important we see Jesus clearly. It's real important. In Mark chapter 9, we will see a question. It turns from a question to a declaration. Jesus will show us who he is. And I want you to see this morning that God in all his glory also came to suffer for you and me. That's why he came. But as we look at this passage, the disciples are so out of focus of what's going on. They're not seeing Jesus for who he really is, who he really was at that time. And and then the news came that was shocking to them that Jesus says, I must go to Jerusalem and suffer and die. And that was the opposite of what they thought the Messiah would come to do. So let's begin reading in Mark chapter 8. Let's go there first in verse 31. Let's read there. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this. Jesus came right out and plainly said, this is who I am. You need to understand, I'm going to have to suffer and die, and then after three days I will rise again. But Peter, in verse 32, took Jesus' side and began to rebuke him and say, May this never happen. This cannot happen. This is not who you are. And Jesus says to Peter, and I'm paraphrasing this, if you think the Christ the Messiah shouldn't suffer and die as part of his purpose, then you're speaking the words of Satan. And Jesus says to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. It's a very strong words to Peter. And Jesus is clearly stating, So you don't understand who I am. You don't understand my purpose at all. You don't get it. But he wants them to know who he is. He wants them to see him clearly. That's what he's trying to do. That's what he's trying to clarify. So if you have our outlines handy, what I want to do is give you three actions to wake up to. Three actions. And the first one is wake up to see the unveiled glory of Jesus. Wake up to see the unveiled glory of Jesus is number one. Wake up is a very strong statement. Uh, we'll see here in a moment. The disciples wake up and everything changes for them. Everything changes. Let's read Mark chapter 9 in verse 2 and 3. It says, After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him, and led them up a high mountain. Where they were all alone, there he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. The Bible says, after six days, six days after what? Six days after Peter said that Jesus was the Christ. He was the Messiah. The first time it was said publicly, six days after he said, you are the son of God, the Messiah, the anointed one. And then Jesus says, I'm going to have to go and suffer and die. And Peter says, oh no, that's not my view of the Messiah. That can't happen. So six days after all that, Jesus takes them up a mountain, the Bible says. Six days after all that. And throughout the word of God, though, mountains and glories are connected over and over. We see that. We can see that. We see at Mount Sinai that, that God handed down the law to Moses in the book of Exodus. We can also see at Mount Carmel that God demonstrated his power to Israel through Elijah in 1 Kings chapter 18 and 19. And it's God in those moments of these mountaintop experiences, even in our lives in those mountaintop experiences, that God moves in such a way that there's no denying who he is. And through that, there's no denying that you and I need to change when we see that. And what, what's about to happen in this passage that we're going to read this morning there's no denying. There's no denying it. And for the disciples to clearly see who he he was in all of his glory and and to understand that he must suffer, Jesus takes him up a mountain to demonstrate this. And in this passage, we're going to learn a couple things, three things that we learned from the other Gospels. The reason to go up on the the mountain is, one, is Jesus has taken him up on the mountain to pray. The Gospel of Luke tells us that. Two, he's taken up the mountain to a solitude place to get alone all by themselves. And three, Jesus has taken them up on the mountain so once and for all, they could clearly see who he is. He wants them to see that. And so Jesus takes them high up on the mountain and he he gives them this picture. And after seeing this picture, their lives will never be the same again. Disciples will be changed. They will never be the same again once they see what they're about to see. But the disciples in this moment, I'm sure, are really confused of what's going on They were probably devastated and and depressed about what's going on because this man that they had been following for three years now told them that I must leave. I must go to Jerusalem and suffer and die. And what he was saying to them, that I'm going to be leaving you. Very shortly, I'm going to be leaving you. And And I've learned over the years that in those moments when things look so dim, when things look so veiled, when you don't see things clearly, that's the exact moment when God works the most in our lives. Have you ever seen that? That's the exact moment, reveals himself in such an amazing ways, that we don't know where to turn, we don't know what to do, and then God reveals himself. I, I don't like the term, he opens a door, because that's not really what happens. God reveals himself. So you and I could really see, so we get encouragement, and hope, and direction, and know what to do. God reveals himself in an amazing way. Imagine the disciples right there in that moment. This guy who they've been following for these last couple of years, and all of a sudden he says, I must suffer and die. And they're thinking, this can't be happening. I can't understand why this is happening. So God is going to show these three disciples, Peter, James, and John, who he really is. So let me kind of set the scene. It's nighttime. We know it's nighttime because Jewish evening began with prayer. And we know they're going up to the mountain to pray because of the Gospel of Luke, as I said before. And they go up to the mountain to pray, and I can imagine this beautiful Sunset. So have it in your mind. A beautiful sunset's taking place. In Luke chapter 9, verse 32, it says the disciples, James, Peter, James, and John are really tired. They just climbed a mountain, right? Who wouldn't be tired after climbing a mountain? So they just climb a mountain, and they're really sleepy, so they fall fast asleep. And Jesus is there with them. And then the Bible says it happens, that Jesus just transfigures right in front of them. The Greek word for that is metamorphosis, meta meaning change, and morphosis means the change form, that Jesus just changes form. It doesn't mean that Jesus stops being Jesus there. It means that through Jesus, this brilliant divine glory was being shined through. It's almost like the humanity of Jesus was peeled back, and now the glory of God is revealed, and he was totally changed in that moment. And Jesus, in his human form, is now revealed in divine brilliance, shining before the disciples and all this brilliance. It's so intensely white that the Bible says, it's whiter than anyone could ever bleach it. Even his clothes are shining brightly at that time. The disciples wake up. And I think this is like a metaphor. Not only do they wake up physically out of a slumber of sleep, but they wake up, I believe, spiritually right here. And they see Jesus shining brighter than any stars that are shining at night right then brilliant, beautiful, radiant, glorious. Jesus is shining his magnificent glory right there in front of them. And God's glory was unveiled. Even if it's only a moment, they saw it. Not just a little bit of it, but in its full force, they saw the glory of God. They saw all of its brilliance right then. They saw the glory of God right there in front of them. All of it right there. And can you imagine seeing Jesus shining in glory? Brighter than anything that you've ever seen in your life. He's shining there because Jesus wanted his, his disciples to understand who he really is. He wanted them to see him in all of his glory, and they might come to understand once and for all that he is God. He is the Son of God. He is the Messiah. Without a shadow of doubt, they would understand at these three, who he really is, when they see him in all of his glory. And he says the same thing about us. He wants us to see who he really is with the eyes of faith that you and I are opening up our Bibles or reading right now, Mark chapter 9, and we're seeing the transfiguration, that you and I might get a glimpse of this in our hearts and minds, and settle once for all, without any shadow of doubt, that we know that Jesus is God, in all of his glory, and all of his brilliance, and all of his radiance, that we see it with eyes of faith, that Jesus really is the Son of God, that really is God, in all of his glory. But let me ask you, what picture of Jesus do you see? How veiled is the picture you have of Jesus in your heart and mind? Maybe your picture of Jesus that you have is the suffering, bloodied, impoverished, broken Jewish servant. It's a powerful picture. Let me ask you but Do you see Jesus as a triumphant, resurrected, glorified Christ in all of his glory? Is that how you see him? Because today, if you're shaken, if you're depressed, if you're down just like the disciples, I can tell you when they were up on that mountain and they saw that picture of Jesus, everything changed and it will do the same for you. And I think that's what God wants for us. He wants you and I to see him clearly, who he really is in all of his glory. He wants us to get a picture of that and open up our hearts and minds to him and his word to really see that and just catch that glimpse, not just for a moment, but forever. Not just this moment. He's saying, I'm giving you a glimpse. This glimpse is the last for eternity for all of us until we see him one day in all of his glory. It's the last throughout this life that we catch this glimpse and say, it's not just a glimpse, but I'm to remember Jesus in all of his glory. The disciples woke up, and they saw the unveiled glory of Jesus right there in front of them. And it brings us to a second point, the second action to wake up to. They wake up, and it says, listen to Jesus. They are to listen to Jesus. The scene just keeps getting better and better as we look at this scene. You think, how could it get any better? Is Jesus is shining in all of his glory right there, brilliance. But in Mark chapter 9, verse 4, it says, And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Now can you imagine, you're you're, you're there and the disciples are there and the brilliance of Jesus shining so brightly. And then you see Elijah and Moses. And you ask, why were Elijah and Moses there? Well, Moses and Elijah were the preeminent representation of the law and the prophets. And Jesus came to fulfill the law and the prophets. Here is Moses, the great lawgiver. And here we have Elijah, the first of the greatest prophets. And they are there to encourage Jesus on his journey to the cross. That's why they came. And here's the disciples. They see the presence of all this. And it's to remind them and get that in their mind and their hearts that they understand now, by seeing all this, that Jesus is the Christ. He is the Messiah. He is the Son of God, that He is God. Let's read Luke chapter 9, verse 30 and 31. It says, Two men, Moses and Elijah, appear in glorious splendor, talking with Jesus. They spoke of His departure, which He was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. So they're they're there, and they're talking to Jesus about the cross. They're talking to Jesus about his resurrection. They're talking to Jesus about his ascension. Can you imagine being there and what is taking place right in front of him? Can you imagine being one of those disciples right there, and Jesus in all of his glory, and Elijah and Moses shining brightly there? How would you handle this? How would you respond if you were one of the disciples right there? What would you do? Peter doesn't know what to do, so he just blurts out. He just blurts something out. That's all he does there. Let's read verse 5 and 6. So Peter says to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Verse 6, he did not know what to say. They were so frightened. So we have Moses, the representation of the law there. Elijah, the representation of the prophets. Jesus, the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. And Peter sees all this and he just blurts out, let's build three houses. Does that make any sense? Does that make any sense? I have no idea why he says it. There are theories why he said that. But nevertheless, it was a bad idea. But I don't want to beat up on Peter. I mean, he was frightened. He was terrified what he was seeing there. I don't know what I would have said. I might have said, hey, let's build the fire. Let's gather around the fire or something. Who knows what we would have said there by seeing all this. But as we look at this scene, it just keeps getting better. If we go on to verse 7, read in verse 7. It says, then a cloud appeared and enveloped them. And a voice came from the cloud, said, this is my son, whom I love, listen to him. A voice from heaven speaks. In the Old Testament, when an illuminous cloud overshadowed something, it was the manifestation of the presence of God amongst his people. We call it the Shekinah glory. The Shekinah glory had not happened for 600 years at this time. and They have not seen it. it. wasn't there for 600 years. And then all of a sudden, this voice from heaven, God the Father said, this is my son, whom I love, listen to to him. That's what God has to say. I want you to listen to him. So when we have the scene. first the disciples see the unveiled glory of Jesus, Jesus in all of his glory. We see that, the, the transfiguration of Jesus. And the response to that, God the Father gives them, here's your response to what you're seeing right here. You're the listen to Jesus. That's what he's telling them. I want you to listen to Jesus. So my question to you, have you seen Jesus clearly today of who he really is? That he's the Son of God. And what he came to do, that he died on the cross for you. Have you seen that? Have you seen Jesus clearly today? And if you, ha- if you have, are you listening to Jesus? Are you really listening to his voice? After hearing the Father's voice from heaven, Jesus, uh, Peter stops talking. He stops talking. and we, ha- we know the effect that it had upon Peter in one of the letters that he wrote. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 16, 17, and 18, he gives... What he saw upon that mountain that night. He tells us. Let me read it to you. Peter says in verse 16, he says, We did not follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory, saying, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. He says I was there. I was eyewitnesses and I was ear witnesses. First hand I heard that voice. I saw Jesus in his glory. It was tremendous. We saw the majesty of God. And all was brilliant shining there. We heard the voice of God right up there. And Peter says we heard it, we saw it, we saw all these things. And in that moment Peter just stopped talking and he started listening at that moment. He started listening. And that's exactly what the disciples needed to hear because they stopped and needed to stop their perceived notions of who they thought Jesus came to be. And they need to listen to who Jesus really was. See, they, not, they need to stop thinking the Messiah came to overthrow Rome and all that kind of stuff. They need to throw it out. And they need to stop and allow Jesus to reveal who he really was and what he came to do. They need to stop. That's what God the Father was saying. And the Word of God says, tells us to listen clearly. And you and I need to wake up, and we need to wake up and listen. We need to wake up and listen to what the Word of God has to say. Just like, how will you and I ever know that there is a Son of God, Jesus, who went to the cross to die on the cross for our sins? Could we actually go out to creation, look up at creation, look at the sunset, the sunrise, and determine and say, wow, Look how beautiful the sunset is. Look at the stars at night. Look at all this. Look at the moon and the sun. Boy, there must be a son of God. And his name must be Jesus. And he must have came down and, and from heaven and took on humanity. And he must have went to the cross and died for, on, on the cross for our sins. Can we determine that from creation? No. By looking at the sunset, sunrise, I have no idea. I can't deduct any of that from what I see with my eyes, right? So how do we know about Jesus? Because of the world. No, the world don't want to tell us about Jesus. They mention Jesus. They forget the cross. They don't want the cross. The only way you and I can really understand who God the Father and who Jesus really is, is through the Word of God. It's the only way we can know who Jesus really is. There's only way we know that there really was a Son of God who came from heaven and humbled himself and took on the form of human being and went to the cross and died on the cross for our sins. The Bible tells us that. That's how we know that. Not by the world, not by creation. It's through the Word of God. And God is saying, listen. I want you to listen to Jesus. I want you to listen to his voice. That's what he's saying. I want you to listen to his words. And maybe some of us this morning, we need to hear the words of Jesus from John 14, 6, where he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father except through me. And right now, we're, we're in our hearts and minds saying, well, how can I have my sins forgiven? And God is saying, through Jesus. How can I have a relationship with God the Father? It's through Jesus. How can I have the hope of eternity with Jesus forever? It's only through Jesus is what that passage is saying. And Maybe that's what we need to hear from Jesus this morning. How to have a relationship with him through Jesus. Maybe for some of us in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, we need to hear where Jesus said, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Right now, this morning, we have all this burden, all this anxiety, all this stress, all the worries of life upon us. They say, I can't take any more. And Jesus is saying to cast all your cares upon me because I care for you. And that's what we need to hear from Jesus this morning. Maybe some of you, you need to hear John chapter 10, verse 9 and 11, where Jesus said, I am the gate and the good shepherd. We need the guidance of our good shepherd. We need direction. We don't know which way to turn, and we need Jesus to show us the way to go. And so we're looking for the guidance from our good shepherd. Maybe we need to hear Jesus' voice saying in Mark chapter 8, verse 34, where he says, take up your cross and follow me. Maybe that's some of us what we need to hear today, where Jesus is saying, stop doing your own way. Stop doing your will. And finally, take up your cross, deny yourself, deny your will, and follow me in obedience. And start living for me and serve me. Maybe that's what we need to hear from Jesus. The fact of the matter is what he's saying is listen to him. Listen to Jesus. Listen to who he says he is and what he came to accomplish and what he came to do. And listen to who he says you are and his purpose for your life. See, we cannot see clearly until we have listened intently. We cannot see clearly until we listen intently. Listen to him. Listen to his voice. Before you make your next decision, listen to him first. Listen to Jesus and ask for his guidance. Ask our good shepherd, what do you want me to do? See, a great deal of what we see depends on what we are listening to. Do you realize that? A great deal of what we see is what we're listening to and it's gonna guide us. So listen to Jesus. The world doesn't want us to listen to Jesus. They want us to say, okay, you're a Christian. They wanna kinda of compromise the word of God and say, well, God doesn't really want you to do this or that. I mean, the rest of the world's doing this and following this, but no, we're to listen to Jesus. They will always lead us astray the world, would. Jesus will not. I believe as Jesus reveals himself up on that mountain in all of his glory, and the Father's voice comes down and says, listen to Jesus. The reason for it, because God wants us to really see Jesus clearly. God really wants us to know Jesus and have a relationship with him and to see him for who he really is. And it was all for a reason. Now, the transfiguration wasn't a shock and awe moment. Just, hey, I want you to see this. This is great. Just look at this. Just be a shock and all. That's not why God did it. The transfiguration was kind of set this up for Jesus. Not only do we see him in all of his glory, but God is saying, but you need to listen to him. Set up for that transfiguration. So we might see Jesus in all of his glory, but we might also listen to him and follow him, is what God was saying. Listen to my son. Not what the world is saying about him. Not what others are saying about him, but listen to Jesus, to what he is saying about himself, and to follow him. Their third action to wake up to, focus on the reality of a suffering Messiah, on a suffering Messiah. Jesus showed his glory. And then we are listening to what he says and who he is. In Mark chapter 9, verse 8, it says, Suddenly they looked around, and they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. So Jesus refocused their attention. Moses and Elijah are gone. The cloud is gone. And it goes on in verse 9 through 13. It says, As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. They kept the matter to themselves, discussing what rising from the dead meant. And they asked him, Why do the teachers of the law say that Elijah must come first? Jesus replied, to be sure, Elijah does come first and restores all things. Why then is it written that the Son of Man must suffer much and be rejected? But I tell you, Elijah has come, and they have done to him everything they wish, just as it is written about him. As soon as they come and they hear this booming voice from heaven, Matthew's gospel gives us a little more detail. It says, the disciples fell face down to the ground and were terrified. And then Jesus goes over and he touches them and he says, let's get, get up and do not be afraid. And then suddenly the cloud is gone. Moses and Elijah are gone. And Jesus tells them, he says, we're gonna go back down the mountain. And as they're going back down the mountain, Jesus turns to them and says, I don't want you to tell anyone what you saw or heard up on the mountain until I rise from the dead, until I rise. That's what he tells him. And he hear that, he says, I don't want you to tell anyone what you saw or what you heard up on that mountain. <laughs> If you read this, if you're asking scripture questions, it's kind of counterintuitive to what we know about Jesus, right? Doesn't he usually say, go tell? Go share? Go preach? Go, everything I tell you, go tell to others. But now he's saying what happens upon the mountain stays upon the mountain. You ever ask why? Why does he say that? Well, there's a couple of reasons I believe there's one. is, If they would have went and shared what happened up on the mountain, many people would have been confused. The disciples were confused. They couldn't explain it. I think at that time, many people would have heard that, and the crowds would have only grown larger around Jesus, where Jesus wouldn't be able to function in his ministry. I think also if the religious leaders would have heard that, that would have made them even more frightened of Jesus, and that would have brought on even more persecution on Jesus than he already had. And remember, this wasn't Jesus' appointed time. The time had not arrived for him to go to the cross yet. All that was going to happen in God's timing. God had a plan and a time, and it was going to happen according to his timing. So the Bible says the disciples kept it to themselves, they obeyed, they listened to Jesus. They didn't share it with anyone else. And so as they came down the mountain, they have a question. And they say, the teachers of the law say that Elijah must come first. Is that true? They're asking Jesus. And Jesus said, Elijah has come. What we learn, that when he says Elijah has come, we learn from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 17, verse 13, When he said the name Elijah, the disciples knew that he was referring to John the Baptist. They knew what he was talking about. And he says, what has happened to John the Baptist? They did all that they wanted to do to him. They wanted to kill him, and they did that. The same thing will happen with the Son of Man. They're going to do exactly what they want to do with the Son of Man, too. So the syntax of this sentence is really tough to understand. But I believe that Jesus is saying to his disciples, he's saying, you need to take your focus off Elijah and Moses. You need to put it on me. When you put it upon me, you need to understand that I've come to suffer and die. And I've come to suffer and die for you. That's the reason I came. You need to focus on that. That I must suffer for you. Luke 19.10 gives us Jesus' mission statement where he says, For the Son of Man came to seek and save that which was lost. That's the reason he came. The whole reason Jesus came, his primary purpose was to go to the cross and die on the cross for our sins. Mark chapter 10, verse 45 says, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. So we ask the question, why do we not only need to see the glorified Christ, but we also need to see the suffering Christ? Why is that so important? Because we need to see that Jesus had a choice. It's so important that we understand that, that Jesus had a choice. He was not forced to go to the cross. He was not forced to come down here to earth. He had a choice. And can you see up on that mountaintop that night, Jesus in all of his glory, magnificence, brilliance, shining so bright, and then God's voice from heaven saying, listen to my son. And Jesus is saying to them, he says, but you need to understand, I came to suffer for you. I came to suffer for each of you. This whole beautiful scene is set up. It's like a roller coaster going up to the pinnacle. They get that. They're, they're, they're disciples at the pinnacle with Jesus. And they're thinking in their mind before Jesus has shared all this, boy, this is it. This is the one we've been waiting for. If you know the Old Testament, they've been waiting for this one. The one that has finally come. He's doing all these miracles. The blind see. The lame are walking. All these things they're seeing. He's the one soon. He's going to overthrow Rome. and He's going to take David's throne. He's going to sit on the throne forever and ever. He's going to bring the Torah in. And righteousness and peace will reign. And he's the one. And then all of a sudden Jesus shares with them, oh, by the way, I must go to Jerusalem and die. And then their totes just fall. What? What? That's not who we think that a Messiah should be. So Jesus takes him up on a mountain and he gives him this picture full of his glory, full of his power, and he says, this is who I am. You need to understand this is who I am. But you need to also understand, I'm choosing the cross. I'm choosing the cross. And I want you to see this is what he's saying. I want you to clearly see that is me, in all my power, in all my glory, that I am the King of kings and Lord of lords. And one day I'm going to take that throne. But you need to understand that I came here to suffer and die for you. And it's a powerful moment, a powerful moment. That he's trying to bring him into light. You you know, this is, you, you thought I was a Messiah. I am. But I must first suffer and die. I have to go to the cross. And that's why I came. And I wonder if, you ever put that through our everyday thought life to see Jesus clearly? If we ever thought that way in terms of Jesus, that in all of His glory, in all of His power, that He came to suffer for you. He came to suffer for us. That He died for Peter's sins and James' sins and John's sins and your sins and my sins and the sins of humanity. He died for all of us. That's why He came. He set aside all that glory All that power, think of it, he has all the power there is, the one who created all things and holds everything in his hand, everything sustained by Jesus. And he sets aside that and says, But I came to suffer and die for you. And the transfiguration was just a glimpse in the power and glory of God. It's just a glimpse, but we need to understand Jesus is so much more than this glimpse. He is so much more. God has just given us a glimpse, but He's so much more. Let's not allow the suffering and glory of Christ to be just a glimpse. But let's allow it to transform us. That we're never the same again. That's what it's meant to do. That we see Jesus in all of his brilliance and all of his glory. That's who he is. But yes, he came to suffer and die. But now he's in heaven with all of his glory and all of his brilliance, shining and majesty. That's who he is. So today, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you never put your faith and trust in him, realize that Jesus is God. He is God in all of his glory and all of his brilliance. But he came to this earth and took on the form of a human being he humbled himself to come to this earth and then the bible says he went to the cross and all of my sins and your sins and everyone's sin in this room and everyone's sin who's listening and every sin of all of humanity was placed upon jesus and he died on the cross for your sin all those things that separate you from god jesus died on the cross for those now anybody that comes and places their faith and trust and say i believe jesus died on the cross for me I trust as as my Savior, God says he will forgive their sins and they become a child of God. And one day they will see Jesus in all his glory in heaven. One day they will be with Jesus forever and ever. So if you've never done that, trust Jesus as your Savior today. Put your faith and trust in him. For all of us who say, you know, I put my faith and trust in Jesus, don't allow the transfiguration to just be a glimpse and wasted. Don't allow it just to, oh, it's a great story in the Bible. It wasn't meant to be that. But let's remember Jesus in all of his glory, but also as the suffering Savior who came to die for us, because that's who he really is. You know, when Jesus went to the cross, at that moment in time, when he was on that cross, he brought great glory to God the Father. At that moment, of all the things he did on this earth, that was the moment he brought the greatest glory to God the Father, when he died upon that cross. By his own volition, He went to that cross and stretched out his arms and allowed mankind to put him there. The Bible tells us God the Father put him there, and he was willingly to give himself for that. He went to the cross. And at that time, he brought great glory to God the Father. The Bible says that when you and I come and we put our faith and trust in Jesus, and deny ourselves and pick up our cross and follow Jesus in obedience, at that time, we bring great glory to Jesus and God the Father too as we're walking in obedience. The transfiguration for you and I to be reminded as we're reading the Gospels. It was a great moment that reminded who Jesus really is. That yes, He died on the cross for our sins, but remember who He is in all of His magnificence and all of His glory. Up on that transfiguration, that's who He is. And one day He will come back again, and that's who He is. In all of His power and all His glory, He's going to come back one day, and that's who we're serving. But yes, He died for us. And remember that, the glorified Jesus and the suffering Savior, that's what he came to accomplish. And it's to set you and I so we, we do not forget that and we live for him. This life that we live is not for ourselves, but we are living obedient to Jesus. And we're never to be the same again. That's why Jesus took those three up on that mountain. They would never be the same again. And as we read 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 16, 17, and 18, Peter was never the same again after he saw Transfigured Jesus in all of his glory. And you and I are never to be the same again as we have eyewitnesses of this in the Gospels, of who Jesus is, who he really is, and all of his glory, that he set that aside to come to die for us. It should move in our hearts and minds that we will never, ever be the same again. Let's pray. Lord, you come and we praise you. We thank you so much for Lord, when we look at sometimes, we can think Jesus was walking on this earth. He, he was a man. He was hungry. He was tired. He ate and all those kind of things. But Lord, when we look at Scripture and also when we get a picture of you and all your glory and all your magnificent, brilliant, shining, brighter than anything that we've ever seen in our lives. Lord, Lord, that can change our picture, that you're triumphant, glorified Christ in all your glory. And Lord, you're, you came in humility and you humbled yourself. But, Lord, you're coming a second time when you're not going to come in humility, but you're going to come in power and might. And you're going to bring peace and righteousness with you. And you're going to set up your kingdom, and you're going to reign forever and ever and ever on the throne of David, the Bible says. And so, Lord, we, we thank you so much that we serve glorified Christ but we know, Lord, that you died for us. And we also serve a, a suffering Christ who came to suffer for us. But remember, that's who you are, and that's why you came. So, Lord, let us get a good perspective of you, but let us never forget what you did for us. But let's never remember who you are, too. And so, Lord, we have to have this balance as we live our life. But, Lord, help us deliver our lives that we bring you glory. If someone doesn't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, Lord, we pray for, for their soul right now that they'd understand who Jesus is and why he came that they're a center in need of a Savior. They put their faith and trust in Jesus. But for all of us who know Jesus, we worshiped the glorified Jesus. Yes, we worshiped Jesus on the cross, but Lord, you are the King of kings and Lord of lords, and you are worthy of our worship. Let us worship you with all of our hearts and minds and strength. Let us give us our all to you not just today, this morning, but every day. Even if, Lord, sometimes we can't get out, we're still serving you in our hearts and minds. Let us look for opportunities, Lord, to serve you outside this building, but also inside this building that we say, God, we want to serve you. We want to live for you. That's why you came, not just to die on the cross, but that we might know you and our lives would never be the same again. Lord, we praise you. We love you. We ask these things in Jesus' name, amen.